0: Welcome to the Brave Feminine Leadership podcast, where we share stories from amazing leaders, just like you and me. We break down myths of leadership, imposter syndrome, and we ask what brave feminine leadership means and does it need to change? All of these interviews were originally recorded in video format. Follow us on Instagram or Facebook at Brave Feminine Leadership for news on when new video series will be dropping. It's wonderful to meet you. Drop me a note if the content resonates. Melissa at bravefeminineleadership.com. Let's get brave. Welcome to our interview series on brave feminine leadership. Today I'm really excited to have May O join us. How are you, May?
1: I'm good, Melissa. Thank you so much for inviting me here.
0: Absolute pleasure. Now, what I'm going to do firstly, May, and excuse me while I look down just briefly, is I'm just going to help the audience by um, giving a little bit of your bio. Um, And then I'll I'll, uh, pass to you to give us a little more detail on that. So May is an executive coach and a leadership facilitator who works across all levels of leadership with a primary focus on executive teams. With a background in psychology, May has an in-depth understanding of human behaviour and focuses on developmental and action oriented coaching to increase self-awareness and emotional intelligence to help leaders build their own capabilities and to lead high-performing teams. May has run her transformational coaching programs for over 10 years and she's worked with clients across the ASX and blue chip financial professional services sectors and I just want to share May, um, I was lucky enough to come across uh, some feedback from some participants in your program and I found this lovely quote that I just wanted to share with our audience around um, around being being part of one of those programs. And the quote goes, if you are lucky enough to come into May's orbit, then make sure you seize the opportunity to bring her wisdom and warmth into your life. I feel eternally grateful that I did. What fantastic feedback.
1: Oh, thank you, Melissa. You're very, very kind. And thank you for such um, a beautiful introduction.
0: Pleasure. So, for people in the audience, May, who haven't come across you before, can I ask you to give us a little more um, where your passion comes from and maybe a little bit about your own story?
1: Yeah, beautiful. Oh, gosh, your own story. So, I think, um, as you mentioned, I run these transformational programs um, and I'd love to share a little of my own story as to... What was the pivotal turning point for me, I guess, going through my own transformation that's resulted in running these programs? And actually before I do, I've just realised I've said the word transformation and so so of you. It might be worth pausing and explaining what do I mean by transformation? Because it's a word that we throw around in organisations all of the time. You know, we've got to run transformational programs and all of this. So... I'll invite you and, and the listeners to picture a butterfly. Right? And so I don't know if you realize this, but every single butterfly is unique. There is no two butterflies that are the same. Yeah. Now, obviously we know that before the butterfly becomes a butterfly, they were a caterpillar at some stage. And if you picture now a caterpillar you know, in its cocoon, doing what it needs to do in that metamorphosis stage, which is the term they use, for it to become the butterfly. So it goes through a transformation process, which is the process of changing. And the word metamorphosis, which I kind of just realised recently, is actually the process of changing form and structure. Okay. Okay. So when the the butterfly emerges from the cocoon, it's gone through its complete transformation. Now, here's the thing that I love so much around using that example as transformation. Once the caterpillar transforms and becomes the butterfly, can it ever go back to being the caterpillar? I don't think so. (laughs) And see, this is what I love because I think this Kind of. I hope this helps kind of crystallize what I mean by transformation, mm. when people go through an ontological change, which is changing their very way of being. Um, for those who are really interested in um, psychological development, adult development, this is what we're talking about. When you make that kind of change, you can't ever go back to what you were before. Like you literally transcended, expanded, become. More than, or different than, if that makes sense. Mm, it does. So I just wanted to paint that context, and then loop um, back to sharing a little bit about my story, and you know, feeling a little bit vulnerable as as I do this. Um, but I think you know, vulnerability is one of those really important, um, especially feminine leadership qualities that um, I really try and encourage more and more and people to to share. Mm. Uh, so I guess. Ten years ago, Melissa, I don't know if I mentioned this to you or not, but I was the director of a leadership um, consultancy, and we had an incredible program that um, did a lot of good work in the world, had a social corporate responsibility piece to it. But after having run that program um, for five, six years, I found myself, as many people go through this journey, starting to lose passion and energy for it right so you know you come to a stage where you feel like you've outgrown yes. you know the thing that you're known for and for me there was this niggle at the back of my head of "May it's time to move on it's time to move on and do your own thing like do the thing that I'm really passionate around and I don't know about you or the listeners out there but rather than take that leap of faith it was an excruciating 12 months of coming to the decision. Okay. Like 12 months of trying to stick it out, shift my thinking, you know, I can, I can feel passion again. And my learning at the end of 12 months, because by then I was utterly burnt out for many other reasons, not only that I was waking up each day dreading Going to work and getting through the day, I wasn't using the you know the skills that lighted me up. I was doing things that I just found monotonous, and the things that were going through my head were things like, "But it's financially stable. What if I can't make it out on my own? What if I don't make enough money?" What if people don't want to buy this thing that I want to do? Are you doubting
0: yourself, mate?
1: What's I doubting myself? What if people don't want me? Crazy, right? And so I just that took me on this journey where I thought I teach leaders. How to be their authentic self, and here I am being utterly out of integrity mm. with my authentic self. Mm. And so I had to, I went on this journey, I'd, I'd learned some fabulous methodologies, but the missing piece was tying in these methodologies, tools, and techniques into um, the understanding of developmental psychology. And once I kind of put those two pieces together, everything fell into place right i suddenly realized that i was at this cusp of moving from one developmental stage which is stay safe be part of your tribe be one of the sheep you know go along with the herd because that's where the safety is and this transition to point to but i want to write my own story Mm -hmm. like i want to be the author of my story and what I realize now, it's not this jump that you just make in a nice clean swoop. It takes time to transition and you go back and forth, back and forth, back and forth.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Which is what I did. And eventually um, was brave enough to resign my directorship, start from scratch with nothing. So no safety, safety net. Know, no safety net. You don't, you can't take the client book. Yeah. It belongs to the company. And, um, and it was hard work, Melissa, but oh my God, the, the, the energy, the instant surge of energy by me starting to write and author my own story, mm-hmm. my unique sense of what I want to bring to this world was just, it was probably the best decision, but the hardest decision I've ever made.
0: That's fantastic. Thank you so much for sharing that. And it's interesting, you know, when I think of some of the other people in the series, you know, I've had uh, some people share with me that they've done research around the period of time people sit from when that first idea comes into their head about I should do something different, I should move, it can be three years. Yeah. Before people get to the point of kind of taking taking that step. And then another, you know, really interesting conversation, And and I'm sure you would agree with this, but you know, life really does start on the other side of your comfort zone. Uh, you know, it is, it is worth listening to that voice and pushing out. And, May, you know, you and I have had some conversations around why are we still having this conversation? Why are we still having a conversation around um, gender diversity in particular? And my daughter's in year 10 and she's been doing some research for a speech at school this week. And she came across some research. Hers is about uh, women having equality in the workplace. She's obviously been hearing some of the conversations I've been having. But she came across a statistic from the UN that said, a 2019 stat, that said that women held 28% of management positions globally. And that's the same number, or broadly the same number, as, as
1: 1995. You, oh, my gosh. So it's like... We've not even started to shift that dial. No. And,
0: you know, there's a lot of the conversations we're having around, um, you know, structurally what can we change? There's still a lot of structural elements in the way. And then on the other side, or not the other side, they're really coupled quite closely, there's a whole lot of mindset um, challenges as well. And, you know, I was hoping today that you and I could dig into the mindset space um because i know that you coach a lot of people uh, i know there's a, a good number of women that you coach as well and i just wondered i might just open up for for you to just share perhaps some views on the mindset space with the same yeah
1: yeah so you know mindset again it's a really broad word isn't it um and there's there's actually so many coaches that call themselves a mindset coach um, but there is, a, there is a lot of difference, right? So there's mindsets in terms of people going, oh, you've got to focus on what you want and you've got to have a direction and intention. And there's some really nice kind of useful frames that um, people offer up. But I think tying back in to the developmental psychology that I mentioned before, The mindset piece is quite complex in terms of when you're working with that, you're actually working with someone holistically around helping them understand their inner world. And what I mean by inner world or inner map or inner game is the phrase we use, is um, their identity Mm -hmm. that is often um, unconscious to them but it comes out in their language Um, understanding their belief structures and helping them to understand what beliefs support them in life and where they want to go more importantly and what beliefs protected them in the past but are no longer useful Mm. and how to shift that. Um, The other aspect is, I guess, looking at, especially for women, helping them to identify their values as to what's really important to them and helping them to start living in alignment with those values.
0: When you and I first met a couple of years ago, you um, and I was in a transitional phase myself at that point in time. So I was shifting from executive life. I just was recovering from illness, and uh, was trying to work out what was the right sort of next direction for me. And you took me through that values exercise, which I think was was very, very powerful at the time. You know, I wonder if it's um, worth just elaborating a little bit on what's that all about?
1: Yeah, yeah. So with that values exercise, and I'll I'll, I'll give you perhaps just a small example as well. So I recently worked with a a senior female executive who'd been CEO of a range of different banks in Asia PAC. She took a role in financial services here in Australia and she was miserable to the point, it was a completely wrong culture fit, um, wasn't alignment with her leader, and she had to leave before before it further impacted her health and her self-esteem. Okay. And so the first thing we did was to elicit her top five career values. And the question's really easy. I mean, the question I asked you was, you know, Melissa, without overthinking it, let's just see what comes up from your unconscious mind what's important to you in the context of your career, right? And you're literally just looking for the first answers. And once the person's buffered out and they've gone, you know, freedom, autonomy, um, you know, innovation, creativity, whatever it might be, you ask them the question again, mm. what else is important to you in the context of your career? And the reason why you answer, ask that question again is you're wanting to get to the deeper values that aren't conscious. And once you've got that and you've probably got a list of, I think, you know, we might have had a list of 20 values for you, you ask the person to prioritize them
0: Mm. into
1: the top five. That's hard. It and it's really hard, yeah, it's really hard. And so for this um particular lady, this exec, once we had her five and it was things like what was really important to her was having a leader who encouraged and supported her growth. Mm. A collaborative environment, a purpose-led organization um, that was doing transformational type of work. Mm. And so what that meant is that when she went for interviews, she was judging the company, not just on whether she could do the role, but did they meet these five values? And I remember her saying to me, May, I've had an interview, the guy who I'd been, who I'd be reporting to, gosh, he didn't even make eye contact. He didn't build any rapport. I didn't get a sense that he was interested in developing me, I just got the sense that he was tasked, tasked, tasked. And I said to her, so, you know, what's the answer? And she says, well, according to my five values, I'm not going through to the second interview. And so the role she has now, you know, when she had the interview with the CEO of that role, it was during lockdown, so she got this role during lockdown. They went for a two-hour walk, like their five kilometres overlap. They went for a two-hour walk and talk and she is off and flying. Brilliant. Brilliant, you know, because she's taken a role that is totally 100% lined with her values which means she goes to work feeling confident each day because mm. there's this alignment.
0: Mm. What sort of, um, that's a, a fabulous story and congratulations to the person. Um, I just wonder what sort of patterns do you see? You know, I've heard lots of different stories as I've gone through these interviews and some of the things I see is people not putting their hand up for positions because um And there's one person who shared this beautiful experience of their own. I've worked here for a long time. Um, The team around me are strong advocates for me. Um, Mm -hmm. They would let me know if they wanted me to take that role on.
1: Yeah, so interesting. They would let me know if they wanted me to take that role on. And so what I'm hearing there is um, she's divesting her own power effectively. And waiting for someone to tap her on the shoulder to say, you're ready for the next step. And I I would have to say, Melissa, for the women coming to my program, 50% it's that exact scenario
0: Mm. where they've
1: said to me, I don't take charge of my own career. I don't back myself Mm. in a meeting. I don't say something unless it's going to be absolutely right and it's going to add value. Whereas I know, you know, the statistics are... Men don't go through that level of, you know, um, analysis. They just kind of just say what's on their mind.
0: I've got this beautiful um, quote that I saw. um, Cheryl Sandberg, I think, shared it um, a couple of days ago. And she was quoting a friend of hers, Adam Grant, who's an organisational psychologist at Wharton. And he said, uh, gender stereotypes persist, including in meeting rooms. We expect men to be assertive, so we applaud them for sharing their views. We expect women to be kind and communal, so they face pushback for speaking up. So, you know, many women learn to, and this is still his words, stay silent and be thought of as polite as the right thing to do. Um, You know, this is linked to this whole... You know, one of the reasons for kicking off this series in the first place, which was addressing that whole question of helping women find their voice. Mm. What do you think of what do you think of the the quote and that whole sort of concept?
1: Well, I think Adam Grant's very much true. We're socialized from a very young age to serve other people, to put others first, not ourselves first, um, and to be good girls.
0: Mm. Um,
1: and I think you know. The patterns that I'm seeing, there's, there's kind of three patterns that are really um, front and centre, especially for women, even executives coming onto my program. One of this is pattern of doing everything for everyone else first, my family, my teammates, the company, and I'm last. Mm-hmm. And so we call that pattern being over-responsible for everything else in your life. But then if you're over-responsible for everything else, you're actually being under-responsible for your own health and well-being. You know, and I think most of us um, have suffered, if we overplay this kind of um, pattern, have suffered some sort of burnout or chronic health health condition, you know, myself included. The other thing um, there is, you know, with that example that you said, you know, my teammates would let me know is that that pattern of my value and my self-worth of how good I am is outside of me. Mm -hmm. The validation of who I am as a human being comes from someone telling me I'm good enough, telling me I'm good enough to go for the promotion. Or um, one of my clients said to me last week, I got a promotion and I didn't ask for a pay rise and my manager was good enough to say to me, I know that you're worth more, so I'm giving you this pay rise. But now-
0: Good enough to say to me.
1: <laughs> right? But the, the, the issue is, why weren't you feeling good enough within yourself to ask for that pay rise? Yeah. And what if you didn't have a leader who was in integrity about gender equality- Absolutely. To, say, to say, you know, I've paid Joe Bloggs this, so you're unmatching that.
0: This is interesting, May. Um, You know, another person in the series I'm talking to who's been very focused on diversity in their organisation for a very long time and still focuses on um, salary gaps at partner level and year on year finds that there is a significant gap. And... One of the reasons um, that she shared is potentially um, contributing to that and there's, there's a book called Women Don't Ask um, where some research talks about, you know, men are 40% more likely to ask for a salary increase and when women do ask, they ask for 30% less. You know, is that the sort of thing that, um, you know, that you see with a lot of the people you work
1: with? Absolutely, absolutely. And even, as you said, at that partner level and exec level.
0: Mm. How do you help someone, May? How do you help, um, you know, when we talk earlier about the over-responsibility and people putting everyone around them first and themselves last, Mm -hmm. I just wonder when if someone hears that, like you're putting yourself last, you're being under-responsible for yourself, is that just more pressure about how do I...?
1: Yeah, so I think the key thing here is... um, as much as possible in, in the kind of coaching that I'm an advocate for, it's about listening for some of those language cues to identify that that might be a pattern with that person. And what I'm aiming to do as, as a coach is focus on creating the conditions for someone to have their own insight. So that when someone, you know, so through asking kind of questions, and sometimes you have to be really gentle about it, but, but even saying, you know, did you notice the language that you use there? And what do you believe about putting yourself first? Or what do you believe about backing yourself? And one client of mine said, well, what I believe about backing myself is that I'll be seen as pushy. And then the question is, well, what do you believe about being seen as pushy? Mm -hmm. Well, that i'll get rejected right so it comes back down to that that core fear which a lot of us have and so part of the work is well what else could it mean like when you back yourself and ask for what you want or ask for that promotion or put yourself out there right what else could it mean well putting myself out there means and this is the reframe she came up with putting myself up there means I get to help more people develop, grow and transform. And so just notice what happened to you as you considered that, right? Like you went, yeah. So it's about not me saying to someone, this is what you're doing, but getting them to have their own insight and and asking them with that insight now, Mm. what else is possible for you? What's a different way of looking at that? What else could that mean for you? And the, the meaning of which is more empowering, more constructive, more, you know, freeing for you. Does that kind of give you a sense? It does.
0: Yeah, it does give me a sense. So why are we like this, mate? Like why, why, you know, and we, we do sort of... Um, stereotype it a little bit but I think the research comes out enough to to give us the ability to do that why are women more likely to not back themselves
1: well I think you and I have probably done a lot of research you know around this and I think it you know it comes down to um so Massey who's a social psychologist he talks about the ages of zero to seven is when a child's mind is like a sponge. So a sponge is, is not able to discriminate good or bad, right or wrong. Like you just sponge everything from the environment. So if in your environment you grew up like I did, where my mother worked two jobs and did all the caretaking. So as a little unconscious being from zero to seven, you see that, you absorb that, and that's the way the world's supposed to be.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, that's just an example in in my own life. I think a lot of women can relate to that. So think about, and I was born in the 70s, right? So think about all of those stereotypical behaviours that happened back in the 70s where it's part of our conditioning,
0: so are we seeing it change like do you um you know do you come across execs of different generations do you see um you know hope in that
1: well it's challenging melissa because people come to my programs because they know that something is no longer working for them true Right so they're they're at this threshold where they're in so much pain because they've lost meaning and purpose they've lost their mojo so people will ring me and go I've lost my mojo or you know I don't find any more meaning and fulfillment in what I'm doing anymore
0: mm-hmm. or
1: I really want this but I'm holding myself back somehow um but what I can say is that after they've done some like inner work like fairly hard work because as you said you know growth isn't within your comfort zone like your potential is not within your comfort zone right then they've achieved amazing things
0: Mm. what sort of work are you asking them to do does that mean when you say it's you know hard work what is that
1: so what i'm asking them to do is to learn how to identify these kind of patterns of being and thinking in themselves and others, especially if they're wanting to coach others as well. And when you become aware of that pattern, that let's say that you're constantly seeking external validation from other people outside of you, getting your value from outside of you, then start the work on developing you know, the flip side, which is a, I'm going to use the word indestructible, is to develop an indestructible sense of self. And the, the example I use with women all the time that absolutely um, rings true for them is I say to them, your daughter or son when they were born, did they need to do anything to deserve love? Mm-hmm. And the number of women who just tear up yeah. and, and so I say to them, why are you any different? Mm. Why are you any different?
0: It's very powerful, isn't it?
1: And then once they feel the truth of that, right, and I can feel the truth in that just sharing that with you now, then something inside them starts to crystallise and metaphorisise and it starts that catalyst to change. But you can't just get something conceptually, Melissa, for it to change. You've got to feel it in your body as well. Mm. Yeah, because it's the feeling of it that is the catalyst. How long do you work
0: with people for, May, when you run your programs?
1: So the initial program's seven days, but it's seven days over, you know, a couple of months. Um, and then I do an advanced one as well, um, and that's six-month. It's a six-month journey.
0: Mm. Amazing. I just um, I want to go back to this finding their voice conversation. And, you know, we're right in the middle of... Um, Um, you know, some very brave um, ladies, so Brittany Higgins I'm thinking of with the allegations around Parliament um, and two other um, female staffers who've come out subsequently and you know, I was watching a report last night and I think it was Lisa Wilkinson uh, was sort of sharing the story and she was congratulating Brittany for finding her voice in all of this and I just wondered, um, you know, what you think about that.
1: Yeah. So when I think, uh, I think you were watching the project too last night and I think in terms of finding your voice, that's quite interesting in itself, isn't it? Because to find my voice presupposes I've lost it. Um, And just when I say that, you know, there's so much sadness and grief that comes up for me mm. um, that women actually feel like they've they've lost they've lost their voice and all of those examples part of what I was hearing in their narrative as to why they spoke up is because they didn't want it to happen to someone else or they had a friend that it happened to their friend and it, I think it comes back to that values piece Melissa. And that purpose piece, when something is really important to you, and I think this is more, it, it, I think it resonates with a lot of women. When something is really important, like maybe social justice is really important, or um, never wanting someone else to experience this, or not wanting your own daughter to experience this, that's when I find that women, especially, will move heaven and hell, right? Heaven and earth, sorry, is the metaphor to fight for something, because it's on behalf of something bigger than themselves. I think that's what's come up for me um, as as you've talked about that. And I think also, you know, with the Me Too movement and the other two staffers coming up, the change needs to happen systemically. So there needs to be enough momentum Mm -hmm. In the, the the complex system, for the narrative to change. Not for the narrative
0: to change. We um, we judge ourselves a lot, and we compare ourselves a lot. And you know, whether I use the example of Brittany or whether I use the example of yourself, May, um, there'll be a lot of people in our audience who are sitting there thinking, "I could never." I could never be like that person. I could never do what they did. How do you respond to that?
1: We're so hard on ourselves, aren't we? We are. Because we've all thought that. Absolutely. And, you know, you said the, the, the words, we compare ourselves, you know, and this just breaks my heart, Melissa, because when we compare ourselves, and I feel really emotion. I don't know where the emotion's coming from, but When we compare ourselves to other people, we move further away from our own gifts, our own gifts that we were born with, our own talents and strengths.
0: Mm.
1: We move away from that. And, um, And, you know, when we move away from our uniqueness, you know, the full expression of who we are, like we're moving away from our own authenticity. And I think that's what happens. That's that's then when we don't want to take the risk. We don't want to, we want to start a business, but we think, well, who am I to start a business? We want to ask for that pay rise, but well, if my team thought I could do it, they would have asked me. And so my response to that is...
0: Let me pause for one sec. Let me pause for one
1: Yeah, so I think... What happens when we compare ourselves to others and say, I could never be like Melissa or a Britney? We truly believe that. I mean, the word never is an absolute, right? There's no exceptions to that. But what happens when we do that comparison is that we move away from embracing and living and connecting to our talents, our gifts, our unique gifts. Right? Everyone's born with unique gifts and talents. And I think that's what really saddens me the most. You know, so many people I work with want to start their own business or want to go for a promotion, but when you're constantly comparing yourself to others, it, it impacts your self-esteem. Mm. Right? It impacts your self-esteem and your self-confidence.
0: Are there any, and I mean, this is quite deep work, but are there any, um, you know, suggestions you can have or, you know, simple things people can do to try and, um, you know, improve that self-esteem?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And so this comes back to, especially women, reconnecting back to themselves. Right, rediscovering themselves and part of that is a simple exercise like what's important to me in the context of my career in my relationships with my health and fitness what's important to me so identifying values start being open to your purpose like what is your greater purpose here because i find that especially when women can tap into their purpose for being here or what they want to achieve, then it, it almost kind of over, what's the word? You know, the self-confidence and the self-esteem stuff almost, the low self-confidence and self-esteem disappear, right? Because they're, they're, move, they're moving towards being of service to a greater Not purpose. Big Something bigger. Something bigger. Perfect. Making a difference, yeah? Yeah. So purpose, values and just starting to ask the question of who do I want to be, right? Not who do I want to be like, but who do I want to be with my gifts, my strengths, my uniqueness? Who do I want to be and does that sense of being give me energy? Does it give me more freedom? Does it help me empower myself?
0: And this happens at any stage for people, doesn't it? And and often not just once. I mean, you know, I think there's life.
1: Yeah, and that's part of that psychological adult development is that we shift, you know, through our life conditions changing.
0: mm may um, I just wonder from your perspective um, what does brave feminine leadership mean um, and does it need to change
1: so you know I shared earlier I, and I love that phrase brave feminine and I've been I've been contemplating it so I shared before my transition as to how I've come to do this particular type of work and what I didn't spend too much time talking about is the burnout mm. and the burnout came from because use the word um, feminine right so the burnout came melissa for me being overtly masculine in everything that i did and what i mean by masculine is i kind of equate masculine with lots of action doing doing doing, doing pushing 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 and i equate feminine with kind of more states of being And so the burnout came from being someone that wasn't true to me, that was inauthentic to me. And when I finally went out on my own, that began a six-year journey of reconnecting back to my feminine self, Mm. like the feminine qualities. And so, you know, some of those feminine traits that I bring into the coaching program are traits like like really deeply listening to another person, not just with your ears or your mind but almost like with your whole being, your whole soul. Mm. Holding space, you know, holding a really psychologically safe space and meeting people where they're at. You know, that was such an important lesson for leaders last year during COVID. Not Absolutely. saying to people, "Come on, chin up, it will get better."
0: Yeah,
1: and I've been really grateful for, I think, that burnout because it's allowed me now to shift and go, "Okay, if I am tired, who am I being? Have I, have, am I taking on too much of that masculine energy? And how do I tap back into some of those feminine?" traits and energy of restoration intuition trust those kinds of things Mm. yeah
0: do you think broadly when you think about that then am i reading into the lines that there's an opportunity for people to um potentially focus more on their feminine energies is that what i'm because that's very much the journey i'm hearing that
1: you've you've been on um so I think sometimes um if we're if talking broadly and we're wanting to speak to humans then for me it's the transition from just doing constantly doing to actually who am I being Mm. who am I being how am I showing up how do people feel when they leave my presence? Do they feel intimidated, contracted, stressed out? Right? Or do they feel safe, encouraged, empowered, inspired by who it is that I'm being? So I, I see feminine, that kind of... Feminine, feminine leadership in terms of more of kind of states of being. Does that kind of make sense? It does. It
0: absolutely does. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: That's fantastic. May it's been incredible to have the chance to have a conversation with you about this. Um, you know, you you demonstrate your um, you know giving space for listening and you know how thoughtful. Um, you are in terms of listening for words and um, you know asking people I think I think it's a very powerful thing to start listening to that voice inside or being aware of that voice inside and maybe starting to challenge it a little bit yeah. I love the way you did that when you told the story about you know when you have a child do they need to do anything yeah yeah Receive love. It's incredible. Thank you so much for joining in our conversation, May. Um, we will make it easy for people to find you because I know that many people in our audience will, will want to reach out and, and be very intrigued about the sort of work that you're doing. So, congratulations and thank you again for joining our Brave Feminine Leadership Series.
1: Oh, you're welcome, Melissa. And thank you very much for thinking of me and inviting me along.
0: Absolute pleasure. Hello there, if you're enjoying the podcast and would love to accelerate your own growth and leadership, then head to bravefeminineleadership.com forward slash brave tips for your gift from me, where I've captured all of the amazing tips and themes that came out of these conversations. I hope they help you feel your brave rising.